Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy, Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, hey. It's a phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> When you're in a submarine or when you're in close quarters like a pandemic, you can do a lot of self-reflection. Today's guest, Musa McHale, spent time in a submarine, thought he wanted to be an FBI agent, but instead found self-mastery and decided to start helping others. Musa, welcome. I want to talk about the fact that you lived on a submarine. That is like the thing that sticks out the most in my mind. And Mm -hmm. you told me that that was like a prison. In many ways it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are the only person I know that has spent, you know, years doing that. So how did you yeah. get there? I joined the Navy with the intention to actually be an FBI agent. <laughs> and that was my my goal. And I didn't actually want to be on a submarine at all. There's actually two things I didn't want to do. And it was combat stuff specifically and submarine stuff. And when I ended up joining, I, I knew I wanted to get in the military. I wanted to leave where I was. And when I went to the military entrance processing station, those are the two options I had were two submarine jobs. It was a submarine mechanic and a submarine electronic computer field. And I was like, I don't want to do either of them. (laughs) And I noticed there was a lot of resistance there because I couldn't contextualize what being underwater, cut off from the world, no sunlight in a tube for extended periods of time. That scared me, to be honest. I was afraid of doing it. The recruiter told me, well, if you sign, you have seven months before you ship out to boot camp, we'll work at changing your job in that time. And so I was just like, okay. Then I I talked to a mentor of mine who was in the Navy already. And he told me the culture of the submariners he knew and the way they carried themselves differently. And their their work ethic was a little bit different than the rest of the Navy. And that's because they have an insane workload and not not that many people on a crew. And then I decided at some point to just stick with it because they get security clearances in the submarine force, which is what I wanted is one of the reasons why I joined because I wanted the security clearance to stand out in the FBI. It was a really big challenge for me because I didn't want to be on a submarine at all. I had all the resistance, all the fear. And so I just embraced it and and took it as a challenge to myself, uh, like a mental challenge. And so I followed through with it and there was a time I tried to back out and then I realized the only reason I didn't want to go and do it was fear. That was the only reason why I didn't want to be on a submarine. I was afraid of, I like being outside and I like sunlight. (laughs) I didn't want to do that. And I was just like, there's a lot of people that do it. So it's not impossible. And if I, I knew if I could do that, there was nothing else that I wouldn't be able to do if I can and be okay with it mentally. And so I did it and I, I challenged myself. I did the best I could. Very successful submarine tour, spent a lot of time, two years plus submerged accumulatively. I was just constantly pushing myself to be better and understand my mentality, emotional intelligence, because I noticed a lot of mental health problems with a lot of people that served in the military in general and specifically the submarine force, because it's it is rough for a lot of people and it's a lot of work, it's a lot of hours. Uh, And then during that time on one of my deployments, I realized 
I did not want to work for the federal government anymore. <laughs> and because I just think I was just putting so many hours in and the FBI would have been similar and then not say it's a bad, a bad job or a bad gig, I think it's great. However, I felt called to do more than that or, or just serve in a different way. You know, I didn't like the idea of having 14 days vacation a year. So I, I, I went this entrepreneurial route and left the Navy. And that's kind of led me to being in the career that I'm in now and doing the podcast, writing, speaking and coaching and all those things. Uh, and I, I do feel more fulfilled from it. So I noticed the burnout. I noticed those negative things. And now I'm, I'm, I'm working at serving those people because suicide is very rampant in the submarines. And now it's my goal to just provide support to them so they can get through their challenges and not be overcome by them. I love that. That's amazing. Like, talk to me what it's like living on a sub day to day. Yeah. So the submarine that I was on, uh, there's a few different classes. And the class that I was on is, is probably the smallest one that the U.S. has. And it's designed with maybe 90 racks or beds, like spaces. Or, and there's a crew of like 150 when we go on, way on deployment. So the junior people who are the, pretty much the newest on the submarine, they usually hot rack. That's what they call it, which is three people assigned to two racks or two beds. And while somebody is sleeping, it's called hot racking because when somebody wakes up, usually there's an, another person jumps into that same rack. They change the sheets or the pillows or whatever they want to change. It's Sometimes it's still warm from the person before you. So it's, it's really an uncomfortable environment, especially if, you know, you've never done it. Well, well people go back to a submarine, they're usually more comfortable, obviously, because they've done it for a long time. That stuff doesn't usually bother them. And after a while, it's just like, it is what it is. I'm going to sleep. I have to sleep. So this is where I have to sleep. You don't have a choice. It, just, it is what it is. And the guys who are more senior, who's been on a tour before or just more senior, they usually get their own rack. So they, they have it a little bit better. And it, uh, one thing I really did learn was it was okay to be uncomfortable. And that when I pushed myself outside my comfort zone and even just as a little way, because a lot of people can't even understand or fathom not sleeping in their bed and, or sleeping in the same space as someone else. And they're really small. They're about three feet wide and six feet long, maybe six to 10 inches above your chest where the ceiling is. So it's kind of like a coffin and it's just something you, you get used to. If you're more senior, like, do you get coffee before you get kicked out of bed? No. Mm -mm. The only person that did that, that I saw was the commanding officer. If you woke him up, you brought him coffee. <laughs> Everything just gets routine. You do the same thing every day in and out and you just detach. And there's, there's a lot of pros to that because there's not a lot of time where people in society now take a break from everything else and have that level of focus. A lot of people nowadays don't have that time to reflect because I, I spent most of my time underway reflecting on how I was being and my mindset and my thoughts and what I wanted with my life and how I was performing and, you know, how I was reacting to things and how I was letting things uh, trigger me and upset me. And, and it was just, a, a, my, that's where my journey of self-mastery started was there because I, I noticed how stressed I was, how upset I was all the time. So it was a, a great blessing for me 
by pushing myself to do something I really didn't want to do. And that's why I encourage a lot of people to do in their lives. They get so stuck in the mundane of life that they don't push themselves outside their comfort zone. They don't even leave the city they were from. I remember a, a guy I talked to who was in the army for 20 years before I joined, he was like, you're going to go in the Navy and you're going to do so much in five years. You're going to see the world. You're going to do all these things. And you're going to come back to your hometown and see everyone doing the same thing they were doing before you left. And it was so true. And I, I knew that was going to be true just by seeing the environment I was already in. I was like, these people haven't changed in 10 years already. Like, I, I'm, I expect that. And that, that's me also not surrounding myself with uh, people who were always trying to grow, which is something that I take serious now is surrounding myself with people who want to be better, want to grow. And we support each other that way because that support system is huge. And that's something that a lot of veterans struggle with getting out the military is your support system's not really there anymore. We call it watch team backup where people back each other up and we're watching each other's back and we're making sure everyone is on time and doing things together. You know, every time we go out in town, it's like buddy system, right? You have to be with someone and people get really close and, and really get used to that camaraderie, that those relationships. So that's where I see a lot of people who get out the military struggle because they don't have that same type of support system their family that they left don't really understand them in that way. And so that's something that I'm, I'm also trying to encourage people is developing, creating a support system because it doesn't just happen without any effort. Speaking of struggle, you witnessed someone who struggled pretty badly and mm -hmm. there was an incident that happened right after you left the military. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so that was one thing I knew these incidents happened and it was actually right as I was leaving, like a few weeks, I believe a friend of mine, really, I knew him, you know, we served the same duty rotation where we spent a lot of time together. Uh, he was newer, right? He was, he had a few years left as I was leaving uh, on the submarine and he had a lot of issues dealing with it, coping with it, adapting to it. And it was just, there was not a lot of growth there. And there was a lot of failure at noticing people's learning capability because submarine is a very high requirement mentally. You have to learn a lot of stuff very fast. In the Navy, my experience was there wasn't enough support for mental health issues. And even the culture around commands and, and crews, they don't really openly accept it. You know, there's stigma, there's bullying, there's, there's little things that happen. Obviously, they want to fight against it, but it's part of what happens. Because if you leave to go talk to a mental health professional, someone else has to do your work for that day. And he was in one of the hardest working jobs in the submarine, which they worked more than anybody. So it was very high stressful. Over a year plus, he was still struggling. He started having more disciplinary issues. There was a lot of things that I believe could have been done to support him, even removing him from the submarine. There was a day where he got in trouble again. He was, he was starting to get in trouble more often. Uh, and he was very different than a lot of the guys. Just the way he carried himself, his demeanor, his facial expressions, the way he spoke. There was always seemed like his energy was off. And that day, they do a review board to see how someone's performance is doing. The higher level people on the submarine will review uh, and they'll pretty much interview you openly, like five or six senior people, and they would, they would interview. 
and see what that what's going on to try to figure it out. Sometimes those can be like a bashing session. And I don't think that was received very well. One of my friends who was in that meeting noticed that there was things that should have been recognized, like shutting down, like straight face, body shaking, things that would usually alarm someone that there's there's more here than just an issue. Mental health issues are progressive. They don't just, you don't just wake up one day and stay at this kind of level of stress and depression. So it was, it was definitely a gradual thing over the whole year and a half that I, I knew him for. That day, after that meeting, which is like, you shouldn't even be able to work that when, when you're going through that kind of environment, right? It's very challenging. You're, the emotions are, are, are stirring and you're just assumed to be able to know how to deal with being yelled at for an hour or whatever the case is after so many incidents. And then there was, there was red flags here and there. That same day, they gave him a M4 rifle and a pistol to stand security watch on a submarine in a shipyard. That shouldn't have happened. Uh, and I don't want to blame people for that. However, there's the Navy that day on watch. That's when he decided to kill two Hawaiian shipyard workers who were in Pearl Harbor. And then he took his own life with a Navy-issued weapon. And that was one of the things that I, I just could never understand is the Navy's reaction to that. And I remember one of our senior admirals visiting our submarine that time. They treated it as an isolated incident, which is absurd. It's not an isolated incident because people don't just wake up one day and want to kill themselves or kill other people. That's a very progressive issue. And to say that no one had any hand in that or no one could have made something change or, or could have done anything about it. And that was just him losing his mind. That's BS. Cause that's not true. Everyone could have supported that. And they didn't want us to all be down and, and try to make anyone feel guilty and felt like it was their fault, which is also, there's a balance there. You don't want to say, Oh, this is my fault. Like I, I should have done something and put all the blame on you. Cause there's a lot that's out of our control, but there is controls. People could have ask questions. They could have been more concerned. They could have actually been open about receiving mental health and, and, and seeing if there was other things. And then there was a huge investigation. And the thing that bothered me the most was after a few weeks or months, like that was swept under the rug and then business as usual. You know, I would never really accept as a veteran. I saw it happening. People saying, you know, it was an isolated incident and no one, no one's fault at the command that's BS. If anyone, if your kid took their life, are you going to say that was not your fault at all? Like you didn't have any influence as a, as a human. It's the hardest thing to do probably, but it, it's necessary to reflect and see what could I've done and not to hold yourself in resentment. I knew even disconnecting, I, I probably could have done more. And now it's more of bringing awareness to things like that. Now it's more of how can we support people who are challenging mentally coping and adapting how can we build the, the awareness, self-awareness, the mindset to not allow that kind of situation be bigger than who they are as a person? Because at some point, if someone ever considers doing something like that, they see their problems as bigger than they are, which is never the case, even though they might seem that way. Another thing is asking for support, asking for help, which is comes in every level of life. And that's the most extreme. However, that's also what inspired me to make the podcast I made. That's what inspired me to get in this field. And that's what inspired me to help veterans. 
and not just veterans. Obviously, this past year, suicides increased as a country in the US, probably globally. It's the same thing. Mental health is not a topic of conversation in our school system. It's just kind of like something you're supposed to know how to deal with. When we are, as humans are dealing with so many complex issues that, you know, stressors and anxiety and, and, and things that are unnatural in a way, we have to learn how to deal with it in a healthy way. And so instead of beating myself up about it or blaming anyone, I was just looking back at what can I do to make sure I give my best and making sure this doesn't happen again. And that's what birthed me into the, the journey and career that I'm in. And I always think about it. those two Hawaiian guys who just finished their shift. They didn't even know him. He didn't know them. He, they just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Hawaiians are very close. <laughs> They're very family oriented. So to see that in a place that has a culture that's all centered around family was very hard to see. I didn't even know him. I obviously felt empathy. And I know all the Hawaiians, they look at each other like family anyway. So it's like, you didn't even have to know him, but you understood the, the weight. And this was right before Christmas. This was like a week or two before Christmas. So those families had missing two great men from their Christmas. And they were great guys. They were engineers for the Navy. It's just so much, so much pain from this one mental health issue. And I, I don't even want to blame him. It was just the environment almost allowed it to happen. It's an effective thing that we can do as a whole. It's not just one person's fault. It's not the commanding officer's fault. It's not if you're in a business, it's not the boss's fault. It's not just one person. It's a, it's a cultural thing because how can we create a culture where someone can actually say, I'm not okay. I need help. This is not working for me. I'm, I, I, I'm not able to do this. I'm, I'm not performing. Like, there should be a culture where that's okay to do. So for someone to, to feel that they can't do that, that's the problem. And that takes a collective to change. Have you ever said those words yourself? Recently, I am doing it now. Before, when I was in the military, I wasn't. You know, it was just figure it out. <laughs> also, this mindset around masculinity. I had to be the tough guy. I don't show my feelings. I can't cry. I can't say I'm hurting or whatever the case is. And that's something that I've been cultivating since I've been out and trying to reach others that it is okay to need help. And now I have this understanding and belief that we just cannot live isolated mentally and emotionally. We need support from others and we need to be able to say, I'm not okay. And the best of the best in the world, the most successful people we see, the most effective, the most powerful leaders, the, the great mothers, the great business people, they all know that it takes a community to succeed in any aspect not just on a submarine, that's just not acceptable. And we see this more often teens and young children taking their lives. So it, it's a cultural thing. And it's, it's something that children need to understand growing up that when there is a problem and a challenge to not just reserve it, to open, to be open. And then it's, it's the responsibility of everyone around them as leaders and parents and friends to allow that space where they can actually share that without being, hey, stop crying, stop doing this, toughen up, be a man, or whatever the case is. Like, no one cares about how you feel. Like, you know, so, you know, all the things that people hear that stick with them, that they believe is true, just cause pain. You know, if he talked to one good psychologist, good counsel, and, and went through some therapy, they he could have removed him from the submarine and he could have been doing something else. Now, that's hypothetically, you know, there, there could have been more there. 
However, there's too many occurrences where I can say that I, I do believe with some support, with some counseling, with some therapy, with people caring, there would be a lot less issues like this. Who do you turn to, to be your support system? I have an amazing girlfriend who supports me throughout anything. And in recent, the past year, uh, through some self-development classes that I've, I've done, I've developed some great relationships with people who I know I could talk to and they can support me there. However, I wouldn't have met those people if I wasn't actively pursuing to better myself. And I'm glad I did because now I have, and it doesn't take 20 people who you can, who you need to. It's just that it takes that one person you can lean on that can support you. However, when you're around those type of people and you're practicing that, you start meeting more of the same. And now I have a handful of people, a couple of good friends of mine who I didn't even know that long right? It's in the past year, I've met them. However, we developed a strong bond. And we understand the, the idea of supporting each other and givers gain and no one succeeds alone. And that's, that's one of the biggest things I think people need to understand, especially emotional health and mental health. Nobody succeeds alone. Yeah. So talk to me about the evolution of the podcast and some of the people who have changed your life that you've met through doing that. Absolutely. The evolution of the podcast. I'll be honest, but I thought of the podcast a couple of years before I started it. When I was still in the military, I just didn't think I would be doing it so soon in my life. I, it was more something that's like far-fetched. I'll do it someday. However, things happen and I, I realized there was no better time to do it than now. This was last year in 2020. I am just, I, I'm so grateful for doing it because the people I've met extraordinary people. And there's some people I had conversations with that I would have never had a conversation with if I didn't have a podcast. And it's unbelievable because everyone has a voice that even from their, just their personal experience, they can inspire someone. And it's not necessarily the big names. It's people can relate to issues. People can relate to the same obstacles that people face. And it's just creating that space where we can share that message, right? And one of the biggest messages is you, it's okay to need help. It's okay to work on yourself so you can be in that state. It's okay to take the time out, love yourself, right? Self-love is huge and self-mastery. You got to see yourself as worthy of a lot of these things. And I've learned so much from these people. That's what it's about. It's, a, it's about their journey. I don't, I didn't make the podcast saying I'm going to teach everyone how to be a master and Zen and be super fit and happy because I'm figuring it out. <laughs> However, these conversations with extraordinary people is not only for my benefit, it's for everyone who listens. And that's one of the things that just drives me because it's so, I'm not expecting anything in return. You know, it's, it's just giving, giving my time and, and creating that platform that other people can share their expertise so we can collectively grow and be better, be a better version of ourselves and that causes a ripple effect because it only takes one person to listen to one of my podcasts about mindset or mental health. And that person will then affect every person around them. And then because that person affected that person and it affects the next person. So it's contagious. And, and when we focus on our being and how we are showing up to other people, that's what inspires other people. Because I'm, I'm a veteran and now maybe someone might listen to my podcast and, and think, well, I could get out the military and go after my dream. 
right? And I didn't, I might not even have a conversation with that person, but by seeing me working on my goals, that inspires other people to shine their light in the world. One guest that sticks out in my mind that you interviewed was Bob Berg, because you said that you read him on the submarine. So that was really special that you got to interview him. Can you talk about that? Bob Berg is just a light in the world, in my opinion. He lives the go-giver way, which is his book, The Go-Giver. And there's a series of, there's four of them. And he just exemplifies that. You miss all the shots you don't take. And I love Bob Berg. I just asked him if he can, if he was open in a very professional way. And he agreed to 30 minutes. And I was so excited because I, I was just like, wow, like Bob Berg, <laughs> uh, his books changed lives around the world. It's been translated in 20 plus 30 languages and bestseller for a very long time and truly changed the way I look at life because it's the giving aspect. Uh, and there's so many great principles and just having that conversation and, and just knowing I can share that with someone who might just, if they're stuck a little bit, uh, if they're thinking of business and they're just too in their head, you know, that's 30 minutes that could potentially change their outlook and business and life and elevate everything, all their relationships moving forward. So I was very proud of that. And, you know, Bob Berg, amazing person. That was an amazing podcast still to, and it just timeless principles he talks about in that podcast and in the Go-Giver series that it doesn't matter what you're doing, uh, what business you're in, what relationship you're working on, those principles will elevate everything. Have there been any timeless principles that you've remembered from your parents? My parents, I would say my mom taught me that it's about persistence and being committed because she moved to America from Egypt and it was a very rough journey for her. Uh, and for a very long time, it was, it was rough. I, I, I feel like it, it is for a lot of immigrants in general, you know, and I can't even imagine that when I think about if I had to go to a different country and I didn't speak the language or know anyone, how the, how would I do that? <laughs> so it's very inspirational. And I just the stories that she would tell me, the persistence, she was committed to being in the USA. And then that's what showed because she has a lot of siblings that never moved here. They still live in Egypt. So there's there's a distinction there. She was committed enough to let go of that life that she had to give birth to a new life. And I'm grateful she did that. And that kind of reminds me just that commitment, how rough it is and how hard it will be. However, people can benefit from it long-term. Did that influence you wanting to serve this country? There was a lot of things that influenced me wanting to serve. And I would say, yes, that, that did influence me. I was, you know, I was very grateful for being born here because I, I saw the, the lifestyle differences from people like I was related to that was that were born in Egypt and that were born in the USA. And a lot of people in foreign countries are still trying to come here, especially in Egypt. A lot of people, they, they wish they could have came here in my family. And it was just like, I'm grateful for that. I'm going to live my fullest life. I'm going to do the most I can do. And then that kind of pushed me to not just wanting to go to a community college after high school. How can I do more or do bigger or just be better? challenge myself and and serve the same way being in the fbi that was just the idea was that i wanted to help you know make america a better place right because there's just a lot of bad things that happen and now i'm just shifted that focus to serving people on a very personal intimate level i love that are there any stories that stick out in your mind of somebody that you feel like you've done that for honestly uh, just yesterday i thought about it 
because I visited, I was in California. I live in Vegas. I was at California with my mom, my brother, and my girlfriend. And I was taking a trip out there for three days. And my cousin, who's been estranged for five plus years, I haven't talked to her. She had a lot of, a lot of rough things happening to her. Uh, she was homeless at, uh, for a while. Uh, she had a child. Uh, she was addicted to certain drugs. And she overcame all that. And I just reconnected with her. And then I was reflecting yesterday because I, <laughs> I'm not going to take all the credit. However, when I left the military, I told my mom, I'm moving to Vegas and I want you to come. And I told my brother, I'm moving to Vegas. He was in Florida. I was like, you should move to Vegas too. And then I met my girlfriend in Vegas. And then that trip, we reconnected with my cousin. And it was just like, there was a lot of impact there because I, I took a stand for us being closer. Uh, I decided to visit California and make it a family trip. I would say yeah, it, that trip wouldn't have happened if I, I didn't choose to be committed to it. You know, we, we had a great time seeing her and it was just very positive for her because she was almost disowned by her family for all the things that were going on. And, and it just ha I was so happy to see her doing better, overcoming those challenges, because I can't even imagine overcoming that with a two-year-old daughter. And it was just, it was something special. And I know now that we can actually have that dialogue back and forth. We can have a relationship. I can support her, even if I'm not in California all the time. And that I know made a big difference for her because no one went to go see her for a very long time. Those are the things that, you know, make me proud. And then just other feedback I get from certain podcast episodes, that is all what I'm doing it for. I haven't had anyone that said, you know, I was thinking of hurting myself and listening to it yet. And that's good. And I don't want people to be in that kind of place. However, I had several messages saying this helped me, you know, this is helping me get through whatever. This is helping me get focused again and, and think bigger or whatever the case is. And that's, that's what makes me truly happy and fulfilled is hearing those things. Cause what, what more can I do in, in service if I inspire people to change and, and, and make their lives better for the people that they care and love about. I absolutely love that. And I hope that one day you can get your cousin on your show. Yeah. And I'm very proud of her. She's working on sharing her story on print form in a book. Uh, she was very creative with poetry. See, I'm going to see big things for her. And I know her story can inspire others because some people who go through very difficult challenges believe that their voice doesn't really matter anymore, which is not true because they might not see themselves in that way or they're just their self-esteem is very low. However, that's another thing I work on with the podcast is getting people to share their story because someone else who's struggling in a similar situation hears that. All they need is a belief that it's possible for them and their whole life can change. I absolutely love that. So one thing that I do with the guests on my show is that I let them ask my dad a question or my dad can just reflect on everything that you've said. Is there anything that you would like to ask my daddy? How proud are you of your daughter? Oh, that's sweet. That's Thank question. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let people know how they can find your podcast, connect with you, all of that good stuff. Yeah. Well, you can find my podcast anywhere that podcasts are found. It's the conqueror approach. Uh, and on Instagram, my name, Musa Mikkel, uh, that's where I'm most active. I'm also on TikTok and Facebook and all the other things. However, Instagram is my go-to and I put all my content there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It was an honor. I, I appreciate you having me. Now, let's 
switch it over to Grandpa. It was a very interesting show. And as you know, when people are in a closed space, some people do not do very well with that. There's people that are afraid of heights if they're way up there. And there's also people that if you put them in a closed space, they also can't mentally handle that. A lot of people want to have experiences and want to be able to do certain things, and they don't really know until they try it. People that are in the Navy or on submarines, part of the Navy, that can be quite a mental challenge. You have to have some type of mechanism to be able to spark that because I agree with your guest that mental illness doesn't necessarily happen where one day it's light and the next minute it's dark. I think that it's something that can happen over a period of time, just like we all have to have patience and uh, we can be very excitable, as we just discussed earlier, if we're under a lot of strain or stress. To be able to have a clear head and to be able to function and do a job, whatever that job might be, has to be done where you get a good night's sleep, where you don't have personal issues or problems uh, that are on your mind at all times. And I think when you are in a closed quarters, that reflection that people do about what you want to do with your life, where you've been, what you've done, where you want to go to, what kind of future you want to have, is where your mind starts doing a lot of extra thinking. And you have to be able to have a clear path, being able to address your feelings and uh, be able to know whether or not what you're doing makes sense. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 